Welcome to the Heartland Free Church Sermon Podcast. We are so happy to have you joining us today. If you are a first-time listener or first-time visitor here at the church, we would love to get connected with you. You can click that link in the podcast summary. That is our online connection card. If you'd just like to learn more about us as a church, you can visit heartlandfree.com or you can download the Heartland app in whatever app store you prefer. Thank you again for joining us. We've got a fantastic message for you this morning, and we will be getting into that right now. Palm Sunday was, uh, it was like the kickoff at the Super Bowl. The disciples were tingling with excitement that day. Uh, They were, everyone was anxiously waiting to see what was going to happen. As Jesus neared the city of Jerusalem for Passover, everything seemed to be heading toward a crescendo. Luke 19.11 says the people thought the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. They were expecting it to happen now. As Jesus entered the city, the crowd went bananas. They cried out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus was on a roll. Even the Pharisees seemed powerless to stop him. On Tuesday of Holy Week, Jesus entered the temple area and drove out the money changers. And all of that only added to the drama. In fact, right after that happened, the Bible says the chief priests and teachers of the law were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find a way to do it because the Bible says all of the people hung on his words. You could feel the messianic fever. Finally, the disciples thought everything at last is falling into place. Just as the prophets predicted, centuries of Jewish persecution were coming to an end. Just as the prophets predicted, a forerunner named John the Baptist had prepared the way for Jesus. And just as the prophets had predicted, Jesus was finally wielding authority, the kind of authority that raised Lazarus from the dead and left his critics tongue-tied. Everybody likes a winner. I think the disciples were already measuring the drapes for their offices. This is why a guy like Judas hung around. He was betting on a nice payday at the end of this thing. Now, last week in my sermon, we looked at the warnings Jesus gave the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Jesus predicted that the that Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed. But you know what? Even that didn't really rattle them. Here's why. Because the prophet Zechariah had already predicted there would be a war in Jerusalem. It's a war the Messiah would ultimately win. And yes, there were going to be some setbacks. Maybe even the temple would be temporarily destroyed. They were used to Jesus surprising them with all sorts of twists and turns. Above all, after Jesus said those things in Matthew 23, I think the disciples were curious. And that is why they asked this question in Matthew 24, 3. Tell us, Jesus, when will this happen? When will the temple be destroyed? And what will be the sign of your coming 
Your parousia is the word that Jesus that they used. What will be the sign of your parousia and of the end of the age? Now, it's important to know that the Greek word for coming is parousia. In the ancient world, this word was used to describe the arrival of the emperor. When the uh, emperor Nero or the emperor Hadrian was coming to town for a visit, they would describe it as the parousia. Now, here's the kicker, friends. The disciples thought Jesus was going to be making his parousia, his public arrival, his public presentation as the king of Israel. They thought that was going to happen either the next day or the day after. Passover was the perfect time to unveil Israel's new king. Certainly, it would happen by the end of the week. The last thing the disciples expected was a 2,000-year gap before Jesus made his parousia. This was the furthest thing from their minds. Today, we call the last 2,000 years the church age. This was a mystery to them, a mystery that had been kept secret for long ages past, according to Romans 16.25. Ephesians 3, 6 says, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ. Friends, this is where you and I come in. Up until this moment, the entire Old Testament and the gospel of Matthew has had a very Jewish flavor. But now we begin to see that God has a much bigger plan in mind all along. Jesus intended to call to himself two people groups, Israel and the church, and then mold them into one body. The kingdom of heaven would have both distinction, they would be distinct, but there would be continuity. There would be both diversity and unity, Israel and the church. In Matthew 24, Jesus lays out for his disciples a whole new timeline. From their perspective, his coming, his parousia, his presentation as the king, from their perspective, as Jesus kept on teaching here, it looked like it would be delayed. But folks, not forever. Today, at the end of this 2,000-year period, the end of the age appears to be closing fast. You see, Jesus, why did he delay his coming, his parousia? He did it for you. He did it for me. He delayed his coming to give you and your family and friends and loved ones an opportunity to join him in his kingdom. The Bible says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Jesus compared our age today with the age of Noah. And friends, today, the ark 
the way to Jesus. It's still open. It's open, but not for long. Storm clouds are gathering. Can you imagine Noah hearing those storm clouds gathering? Thunder is roll rumbling in the distance. As I said last week, my 94-year-old mom is still holding out hope that she will meet our Lord in the clouds. And I told her, don't give up, Mom. Don't give up. We're experiencing the birth pains right now. And ladies, you know what's on the other side of that. Today, we're going to look at seven specific birth pains mentioned in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. Every mother that gives birth can tell you about this. Birth pains grow in intensity and frequency as the birth draws near, and that is exactly what we are seeing today. Let's look at these seven birth pains one by one. The first is this, it's deception. It's deception. Jesus begins his long reply in verse four with these words, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. Keep your eyes wide open. Jesus warns. And then you know what he does? He warns, he gives the same warning two more times. Don't be deceived. He does this in verse 11 and then again in verse 24. The only warning that he gives three separate times in Matthew 24. Now, of course, deception has always been among us, right? But Jesus said, deception's going to go crazy as the end of the age draws near. The last few days, Caitlyn Jenner has announced that she will be running for, pre for uh, governor of California. And uh, as she was making her announcement, my mind went back to my senior year of high school as they were preparing for the 1976 Olympics. And Bruce Jenner was the greatest athlete in the world. He won the gold and the decathlon the summer of 1976. It was an astounding thing. It, for you that lived, you know, I was in track in high school. I know, you know, to do every event well. It, it's an incredible accomplishment. He was on the Wheaties boxes. You guys remember that, that are old enough to remember that. <laughs> uh, everybody was talking about Bruce Jenner. Now, can you imagine someone coming up to Bruce Jenner at that moment, right after he's won the gold, and saying, Bruce, I got a surprise for you. You're going to run for governor of California 45 years from now as a woman named Caitlin, what do you think he would have done if you would have made that sort of prediction over him? This, friends, is the world that we live in today. It's a world with all kinds of twists and turns that we have never before seen in history. 
In fact, since COVID hit in March of last year, there seems to be an unprecedented unleashing of demonic forces. And it's coming at us from a million different directions. One of the best resources I have come across, highly recommend this book. It's the book Lawless, End Times War Against the Spirit of Antichrist. What I love is they are writing this in the midst of the COVID meltdown. And so they're giving insights as to how COVID relates to prophecy. 17 different Christian authors each write a chapter in their sphere of interest. Our whole culture is under siege right now from deception. It all originates with the great deceiver, Satan himself. You know what the remedy is, folks? The remedy is know the truth. That's the remedy. Jesus said you will know the truth and what? The truth is going to set you free. That's what Jesus said. Keep feeding on the word of God. Stay in fellowship with one another. We need to watch over each other's souls. There is no substitute for that. I need that. You need that. There are no exceptions. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need the word. We need each other as we await the arrival of our king. And remember, every time another deception arises out of nowhere, it's just one more reminder that Jesus is coming soon. A time of rampant deception. Let's move to the second birth pain, which is wars. In verse 6, Jesus said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is yet to come. Any historian will tell you that the history of war is the history of the human race. Since Cain killed Abel, we've been at it ever since. Kings and kingdoms, empires and emperors have come and gone. As Shakespeare says, all the world's a stage and all the men and women are merely players. They have their exits and they have their entrances. And yet, folks, historians know that there was something different about World War I. It marked a new chapter in the history of war. 16 million were buried. Mankind had never seen that kind of carnage. And you know what? The bodies were barely cold before war clouds gathered again. And World War II sent another 50 million to the grave. Ended on an ominous note, an atomic bomb that can take 100,000 lives in the snap of a finger. General MacArthur, speaking from the USS Missouri battleship in Tokyo Bay at the end of the war, the surrender ceremonies, he summed it up like this. He said, we have had our last chance. If we will not devise some greater and more equitable system, Armageddon will be at our door, unquote. For 76 years now, some way, somehow, we have dodged the nuclear bullet. But everyone knows it's only a matter of time. Someone, somewhere, is going to launch that first missile. Everything in the book of Revelation points to that. 
So a wise person is always ready to meet God. The residents of Hiroshima, Nagasaki, were incinerated before their bodies hit the ground. It can happen that fast, no time. Now let's move to the third birth pain, which is racism. In verse 7, Jesus said, nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now that translation is a bit misleading, for the Greek word Jesus used was ethnos. Ethnos will rise against ethnos. Ethnos means people group. It literally means a people group that is held together by customs and habits. So when we hear the word nation, we normally think of a map and a nation with boundaries. But that often isn't how people think of themselves. The U.S. found this out when we tried to build a new nation in Iraq. We looked at the map. We saw one nation with its geographical boundaries. But the Iraqis themselves, they saw themselves, 15 million of them as Shia Arabs, 9 million as Sunni Arabs, 5 million as Kurds, 3 million Turks, and 2 million everything else. And many of them have been fighting each other since Noah got off the ark. So how on earth, as we are as outsiders, are supposed to come in there and somehow unite them? See, it was an impossible task. And the same is true here in the U.S. In the last 20 years, racial relations have just gone in the tank. Now, why is that? Ultimately, it comes from the pit of hell, from Satan himself. He loves to stir up discord and division and dissension. I was watching Channel 4 News last night before I went to bed. The first half of the newscast was about how crime is surging, especially in North Minneapolis in various communities and they had people out there and say, you know, uh, we, this crime is just going bananas and they had the mayor of Minneapolis on there. The second half of the newscast was all, all about police brutality. Okay, and the police are doing this and they're doing that and, and I, I thought to myself after I watched that, someone needs to, the guys that are doing the first half of that need to be looking at the second half of that because they kind of go together, don't they? Huh, I wonder if we keep beating up on the cops why we have more crime. <laughs> and that is the conundrum of our day, is it not? Now, on the one hand, the rise of racial tension, it's another sign that Jesus is coming soon. It has to happen. You know why? Because Jesus said it would happen. Ethnos would rise against ethnos. On the other hand, we must remember that we here in the church have one thing that can bring true unity. And that is the cross of Jesus Christ. That is where our identity, who are we? Are we black, white? Are we Scandinavian and all the other, you know? All, who are we? We're followers of Jesus. That is our identity. The Bible says in Christ there is no Jew or Greek. There is no slave or free. There is no male or female. But you are all one 
in Christ. Christ can bring that unity. Now this brings us to the fourth birth pain, which is famine. In verse 7, Jesus said there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Again, famines have always been with us. Chinese historians have recorded 1,800 famines of various intensity throughout Chinese history. Rome suffered a serious famine in the 5th century B.C., a famine that lasted 200 years wiped out the Mayan civilization in the 11th century. The potato famine changed the history of Ireland and brought the Irish to American shores. But as the end of the age draws near, there's going to be famines as we have never seen them before. Revelation 6 tells us how it's going to happen. The four horsemen of the apocalypse. You ever heard of them? Read Revelation chapter 6, rather than just say, yeah, you know, I've heard that. Read Revelation 6, you find the four horsemen there. The first horse is white. It represents a false Christ who is coming. He's going to look like a person of peace, but he's not going to be. That false Christ is going to be the Antichrist. That's the first horseman. The second horseman is red, representing war. He's going to bring a huge world war. Third horseman is black, representing famine. When this horse appears, a voice cries out, a quart of wheat for a day's wages, three quarts of barley for a day's wages. The last horse is pale representing the death of a quarter of the year's population. At present numbers, it would be about two billion dying at the same time. But remember, remember the order. The death on an unprecedented scale comes from the famine on an unprecedented scale, which comes from war on an unprecedented scale, which comes from the Antichrist, okay? That's the order of the horsemen. Now, unwittingly, the Antichrist will be unleashing the very wrath of God. Revelation 6.6 makes it clear. When the kings of the earth cry out, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Now, I've got good news for you on the heels of that, okay? The four horsemen of the apocalypse. I sincerely believe that we're not going to be here during that time. I believe that we will be long gone. And it's because of Revelation 3, verse 10, where Jesus said, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial. In the Greek, that's a very interesting keep you out of the hour of trial. The word Greek word is ek, out of the hour of trial. It's gonna come on the whole earth to test the inhabitants of the earth. If Jesus has intended to tell us that we would be here through the tribulation period, he he would have used the word dia, okay? Through. I will keep you through the hour trial. He doesn't do that. He uses the word ek. I will keep you out of the hour of trial. Like both Noah and Lot, Jesus said, it will be as it was in the age of Noah and as in the age of Lot. Both situations, God's people were removed before judgment fell. They were protected from God's wrath. 
And I believe that rapture will remove God's people, then the great tribulation will fall upon the earth. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 makes it clear. Jesus said, Jesus rescues us from the coming wrath. We are rescued from wrath. But we must always remember we are not necessarily rescued from hardship and trials. We could see the early stages of all this, and it might get pretty bad before even the rapture happens. Every generation since the time of Christ has tasted persecution, and they have tasted martyrdom. We must be prepared also. Okay? We must be prepared also. This brings us to the fifth birth pain, earthquakes. Jesus said, verse 7, there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Notice that Jesus did not necessarily predict an increase in earthquakes. Now, I've done a lot of research on earthquakes. In fact, when I did my whole end time series back in 2009, I did extensive research on earthquakes. And what I discovered, it's very interesting, researching earthquakes is like researching covid People cite the same data and come to completely opposite conclusions, okay? I do believe there has been an increase in both number, frequency, and intensity of earthquakes in the last century. The documentary movie, The Coming Convergence, uh, which I referenced a few weeks ago, you can see that on YouTube, it does maintain that there is an increase in both frequency and intensity of earthquakes in the last century. Clearly, something is going to happen with earthquakes that act as a sign of Christ's return. But that shouldn't surprise us, because when you read the Bible, God uses earthquakes to get our attention all the time. In the Bible, we see earthquakes on day three of creation. We see earthquakes during Noah's flood. We see earthquakes when Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed. We see earthquakes at Mount Sinai. We see earthquakes at the fall of Jericho. We see earthquakes when God spoke to Elijah. And interestingly, we see a big earthquake at the crucifixion. And then another one at the resurrection. Okay, read that, read that passage carefully. And then we see another one at Pentecost. And we see another one when God released Paul and Silas from prison in Philippi. It was an earthquake. So God uses earthquakes to get our attention. In the future, Ezekiel predicts an earthquake will be instrumental in rescuing Israel during the Gog-Magog war of Ezekiel 38. And then later in the book of Revelation, a mighty earthquake will occur when the sixth seal is opened. And then, folks, the biggest earthquake in history will happen on the screen there when Jesus sets his foot on the Mount of Olives at his return. You can read about this in the book of Ezekiel. You can read about this in Zechariah chapter 14. When Jesus sets his foot on the Mount of Olives at his return, he will literally split the mountain in half. 
God uses earthquakes to get our attention. You can look for this as the end draws near. It's one more birth pain to keep your eye on. Now, there are two more birth pains. These are found in the Gospel of Luke, but it's the same passage. Luke is the longest of the four Gospels. He often adds further detail that the other Gospel omits. So we can have confidence at the same time Jesus was teaching on these other things, he also added these other two signs. The sixth birth pain is plagues. We know a little bit about plagues now, right? Luke 21.11 says there will be a great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places. The Greek word for famine is limos. The Greek word for plague is loimos. So there's a play on words going on here, and it's because famines and plagues go hand in hand. The most notorious of all plagues was what? The bubonic plague, right? The bubonic plague in mid-1300s took a third to a half of Europe's population, killed them. Isn't that amazing? The Spanish flu of 1918 killed between 20 and 50 million, okay? So COVID, in comparison, pretty small potatoes. Nevertheless, COVID is a harbinger of what is to come. More importantly, COVID has exposed our vulnerability. It's exposed our ignorance. We really don't know a lot about viruses. And what we do know seems to be a moving target. You know, fighting COVID has been like nailing jello to a wall. <laughs> Today we are oh so slowly emerging from the COVID plague. I pray, Pastor Jeff and I have prayed this all the time, that the whole COVID experience is changing you from the inside out. Because it's done that to Pastor Jeff and Pastor Cooper and I. It's, it has changed us from the inside out. As never before, we realize how much we need God. And we realize how much we need each other. Yes. And face to face, not Facebook to Facebook. <laughs> face to face. God's been trying to get our attention throughout COVID. I hope He has. Be assured of this there will be more COVIDs down the road. We know this not because Dr. Fauci says it. We know it because Jesus says it. As the end of the age draws near, there will be more pestilences, more pandemics, more epidemics, more plagues, more viruses. This is the sixth birth pain. And the seventh is also mentioned, Luke 21, 11. Terrorism. Jesus said there will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places. And then he says, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Jesus uses a Greek word from the phobia family. Fear in Greek is phobos. So he's using a word from the phobia family. Jesus is predicting here that in the last days, there will be a growing number of events that strike fear 
in us and panic and terror in the hearts of people. There will be one after the next and they will grow in intensity as the end draws near. Have we experienced this? I find it interesting that the word terrorism was not widely used in the U.S. before 9-11. You can go back to the news reports. Hardly anybody ever used the word terrorism. Before 9-11, terrorism was something that happened over there in the Middle East, in Northern Ireland. That's, that's the terrorists are over there until it came here on 9-11. In response, the entire Department of Homeland Security was established. With it has come a level of 24-7 surveillance that we never thought possible. And then you add to that the smartphone and all of its capabilities. You add to that amazing breakthroughs in DNA analysis. You add to that the ever-present trail we all leave on the internet. And folks, you know what? There's nowhere to hide. There is nowhere to hide, which is only added to our sense of insecurity. I don't know how on earth Indonesia lost a submarine. <laughs> you remember seeing that in the papers a few weeks ago? Indonesia lost a submarine. I'm going, how in the world do you lose a submarine in this day and age? <laughs> you know, this is the world we live in, and it's not going away. President Roosevelt famously said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. There's a lot of truth in that. If you've ever sat down to take a test, been seized by panic, you know it does nothing to help you, does it? It only causes your ship to sink all the faster. So let's just pause a moment. Think about the birth pains that Jesus mentions here. There's deception, there's war, there's racism, there's famine, there's earthquakes, there's plagues, there's terrorism. And then right after Jesus ticks off this list, he said, all these are the beginning of birth pains. Just like birth pains, these seven signs will grow in intensity and frequency as the end of the age draws near. I close with this. You know, I think up until Jesus began teaching on the Mount of Olives that Wednesday afternoon, I think the disciples were thinking that the Jesus train, <laughs> it's full steam ahead. We're going in the right direction here. But as he began teaching in Matthew 24, it had to be stunning for them to hear all this stuff. No longer were they thinking about measuring the drapes. <laughs> now they were thinking about just staying alive. Certainly Jesus saw this. His heart had to go out to them. So the very next day, he gathers them together and he comforts them. And you know what he said? He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, there's many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. I will take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the place where I am going. It's a great passage of scripture. Preached it at many funerals. Good scripture to memorize as we go through the signs of Christ's return. Folks, we don't have to panic. We don't have to fear. In fact, our hearts can be totally at peace. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want. 
right at this very moment. The Lord is preparing a home for you in heaven. Someday he's going to break through the clouds. He's going to take you home to be with him if you know him. Friends, do you know him? Do the people you love know him? Will you spread the word so that others may know? 